And we're live. Down boy, Nick. I know you're not used to being on the show, but you can't grope the guests. It's, uh, it's forbidden. <laughs> you show me the file where I can't. This is true. I, I guess it's all about consent at that point. And I don't know about Rick, so, you know, we won't ask. He won't tell. We'll just move on. All so, right. hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, Nick, I, I think it's time for a disclaimer. So normally it's two grunts and Doc, and she sort of keeps everything in check. But now we've got three grunts and no doc. So any shenanigans that happen, I really feel like it's her fault. And so we should oh, yeah. not be held accountable. Will you second that motion? Oh, yeah. I second and third it. Um, Outstanding. It so so we've been, you know, duly deputized away from all responsibility. Doc, it's all your fault. You should have been here. And I, I think at that point in time, Rick, we'll let you introduce yourself to our uh, listeners and viewers. Hi, I'm Rick Partlow. Uh, I write military science fiction and a little bit of space opera. I have written 56 different novels, not counting two that I threw away that I wrote when I was a teenager. And uh, I am living here, living the dream in Wyoming. All right. He ra we were just talking about this on the pre-show, people, but he actually wrestles bears on his way to get the mail. Wow. It's just what he does to stay in shape, you know. It's and what you do in Wyoming. We, don't, we do not wrestle in Wyoming. That's a southern thing. You wrestle in the South. You wrestle in the West. Oh, jeez. All that foreign <laughs> lingo stuff. See, I this is what happens when they I make... Wrestled, I wrestled alligators in Florida. But now that I'm in Wyoming, I can't wrestle anymore. Oh. Yeah. So this is why he was the uh, infantry officer and I was just a sergeant. <laughs> he knows things. Where's your team leader? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I heard that a lot. Hanley, get in here. Um <laughs> But so uh, <laughs> it still does. That's right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So I actually met Rick way back when, uh, when I first started writing in a now since closed uh, Facebook group, but it was uh, for veterans who, you know, got the writing bug. Uh, and we started talking and the rest, as they say, is history. I think that was back in 2015 before my first book even published. It's been a while. Is it that long ago? Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, I signed my contract in 2015, and I published my first book in 2016. So it was, yeah, that was when we, that's when I found you. I'm just a slow writer, what can I say? But but uh, we, we, you know, as much as we like you, Rick, and, and we want to reminisce, we can't let you get any further without the gatekeeping that is known as the religion question. So, Nick, mm -hmm. you, get to, you get to hit it. Oh yes, all numbers patre six five. Also fantasy, follow me. All right, Starship Troopers, Aliens, or Ender's Game. Are we talking books or movies? <laughs> because uh, I guess Aliens yeah. is a movie, that's, so it has to be. See, because yes. if you're talking books, then that would be Starship Troopers. But there was no movie adaptation of Starship Troopers, so uh, it would have to be Aliens when it comes to movies. Know. All Ender's right. Game wasn't oh, bad. Some people, some people hate it. I kind of liked it, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love the book. The book was great. The, yeah. The, the, the book was amazing, and like I was writing a comic book, and I was halfway through it till I realized, like, man, I'm just rewriting Ender's Game. I suck. <laughs> you know, because it, it was very influential. Um, so, because we're polytheistic, huh? 
for our dear listeners, and some of you probably said that means multiple religions. Um, but before uh, Nick, before you do yeah. that, I just want to I want to correct the record. There are actually aliens franchise books out there and graphic novels and comic books. It's true. And, and you'll get a yes, you'll get Dark a kick Horse, out of this. The Dark Nick. Horse mo- the Dark Horse comic book that was the sequel to Aliens, where where it had Ripley and Hicks in it, was so yeah, well, far superior to anything else that has come out in a, as a that, movie. Oh, that should have been Alien Three, right there. It should have been. You know what? It wasn't budget. Because they couldn't afford to do aliens on Earth. Oh man! But that's fair. Money, it's the way of everything. And, and just throw in a, a comment here on speaking of comic book sequels to movies, that Predator: Concrete Jungle would have been a far superior movie to Predator Two that we got. Yeah, that was it's such like an awesome, awesome Adam comic book. Oh yeah. So this. This is the one the one opinion that gets me hate mail still to this day. We did, when we were sci-fi shenanigans, a review of Starship Troopers, the book. Uh, the movie also came up that was since been re-released as an archived episode, so it's still available if you want to dig out the, uh, the archived episodes. But I said that I liked the movie Starship Troopers, and I enjoyed it more than the book. Uh, but I found the movie first, and I still get hate mail about that. I, I get retired colonels who uh, have uh, emailed me to tell me to beat my face, among other things, <laughs> when they well, the find movie, that episode. The movie wouldn't have been bad if they went with their original idea, which was just to make a generic science fiction movie that uh, Paul Verhoeven could uh, make as an anti-war, satirical, anti-fascist <laughs> thing. But yeah. he, they, they also own the rights to Starship Troopers. So they're like, oh, we'll make an adoption of Starship Troopers. But it wasn't. It had nothing to do with Starship Troopers. And Verhoeven never, never, never read the damn book. And he tried to slander Heinlein as a fascist. And uh, I hate his guts to this very day. No, Heinlein is uh, not that. Yeah. I read the book... Yeah, I read the book too. I enjoyed the book for what it was, but it felt more like a political treaty than it did an actual well, it was. It novel. Was a politi- it was a political thing. I, That's why it was required reading at the at the Naval Academy for years. Yeah, I mean, I read I read philosophy for the fun of it. I mean, I've read Marcus Aurelius several times, uh, so I'm not opposed to that. But if I'm looking for an entertaining rapper? read, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's he's the he's the OG rapper, Marcus Aurelius. We'll find him right next to Charlemagne the God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, all right. But you, uh, you've got to make it through one more hurdle because because uh, Nick's going to lay the uh, the fantasy questions on you. Yeah. Before I can take the altar down. Suck uh, it to me, Nick. All right. So, Beastmaster, Willow, or Conan? Well, Conan, of course. If you're talking the '80s version was Arnold. The Jason Momoa version that gets a lot of hate too. I was like, it's okay. It's not. It's not anything as good as the original, but it, it was okay. You can't uh, Beastmaster did have one thing going for it, of course, which was... The parents! No. No, that That's wasn't the thing I was thinking days? of. <laughs> I thought it was the puppies, but yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed Willow. Oh, yeah, I, wish, I wish they had done a sequel to that, but that's one of those ones where they've waited they're so long. A, they're making a series yeah. now. Yeah, the the only way to save that is to pick up with a little girl and push it to the future because the uh, the original actors that's what they're are doing. too old. That's what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. They, they have the original Willow is going to be in the movie. Um, yeah, Warwick Davis. And it's going to be in. The, it's going to be Warwick Davis. It's going to be in like set thirty years in the future or whatever. 
that's coming the out only soon, way you I think. It's coming out soon, I think. Yeah, sometime in the next six months. I didn't really care for the movie that much. I thought that uh, I thought Val Kilmer was criminally underused in that movie. Oh yes. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't like how much they focused on Warwick Davis. Honestly, I mean, it's named after him, of course. But you've got Val Kilmer, who was a big star back then, you know, and they didn't use him. Yeah, he was like fresh off of Top Gun. He had a bunch mm. of other ones going on too. Yeah, criminally underused. Uh, the villain was—I didn't care about the villain. So yeah. you know, a lot of movies make you care about the villain. Most of you want to hate him. And the special yeah. effects are really, really dated. Yeah, even uh, I think it was the special effects were done by LM, and they were—I think they were just from awesome, some pretty heavy projects. So they didn't send their A team for them. That dragon-ish thing that they had at the end was horrible. Oh, so horrible. So bad. So, so but Conan, bad. But Conan, mean, Conan was the best fantasy movie that I had seen up until Lord of the Rings came out. But see, there's special effects are like a two-edged sword, a dual-edged sword, because on the one hand, it does make for pretty viewing, but then movie theaters so rely on the, the special effects and the CGI that they forget actors actually have to act. Uh, and so we've lost at some level some of our actors and their ability to. Dude, I, I watched. So I watched. I, wa I watched nothing. I for fun. I did pretty much nothing but watch almost every movie that came out in the mid '80s to mid '90s. There was some horrible acting back then too. Do do not make the mistake of thinking that the best ones that come come to your mind from then are the only ones that came out. There were some None bad, at all. bad movies. <laughs> but I, I would say that the bad actors, if you compare the bad actors from then to now, bad has gotten worse. I don't think so. I think that there's more movies made now. Have you seen Captain Marvel? I mean, come on. I've, yeah, and she's not, she's not right for the role. She's a horrible... That woman can't she's, act to save her life. Oh, she can. She's got an Oscar. Uh she can act. <laughs> that, that's just, it was the right role for her, though. She can She can act if you put her in a role where she's appropriate. She is not Captain Marvel. Emily Blunt would have been a perfect Captain Marvel. So, I, I buy Emily act, Blunt as a badass. Yeah. So she she acts as herself. That is pretty much her only role. She is a Karen, much like Shatner is only Shatner. That, that their roles are all characters of themselves. I like <laughs> I do like Shatner. The difference is, is is to say that the man has depth just isn't true. I didn't say she had depth. I just said that she could act. But, you mm. know, um, there's, most actors have very little depth. Shallow like a puddle. Hmm. On that note, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> we here at the Blasters Blade Podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific and sci-fi. Uh, which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Science fiction, pretty much. Um, I didn't really get into fantasy until the 80s, and mostly because I ran out of sci-fi to read that I liked. Yeah. So uh, that's that's when you talk about fantasy, we can go more into that, but it, it's because I really fell in love with science fiction from the works of Heinlein and and, uh, and Andre Norton and Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, all this stuff written in the 50s and 60s that was really hopeful and out there, you know, and exploration. And then you got into the 70s when everything became nihilistic and 
pessimistic and end of the world and end of humanity stuff. And I just didn't want to read any of that. So I stopped reading science fiction and picked up fantasy. And it wasn't until cyberpunk took hold with William Gibson and Walter John Williams that I got back into science fiction. Okay. I get that. So what was the first fantasy novel that you found? Fantasy or science fiction? Fantasy. You said you didn't get into fantasy till later. What was, oh, in the eighties. Yeah, uh, it, was, I think the first one was um, the Dragon and the George by Gordon. Is that Gordon Dixon? I think it was Gordon Dixon. Yeah. I don't okay. know if you ever read that one. It's about a a literature professor who gets sent back to a fantasy version of England where he, his mind is stuck in the body of a dragon. Oh shit. <laughs> He's, it is, is, uh, his fiance gets sent through by this guy and he can't get her back. It was like an experiment. So he sends him back to get her. And instead of him going bodily back through time, he just goes just his consciousness, like quantum leap. And he leaps into the body of a dragon. His aim was a little bit off. So what overall, <laughs> you said you felt your first love was sci-fi. So uh, in the whole sphere that is speculative fiction, what was your first memory of the genre? Watching the uh, 1960s TV shows on reruns on syndication, Star Trek, Lost in Space, that kind of thing. Space 1999. So did you, uh, Space 1999 was a comedy, right? Or was that serious at no. the time? Because now I look at it and it's, it looks satirical. <laughs> it was meant to be serious. It was, it was a British show in the 60s with a low budget. Yeah. Okay, fair, fair. Did you uh, watch the Netflix redo of Lost in Space? I did. I did. Did you enjoy I it? I liked it. I liked it. Um, I thought that it ran into the same problem that a lot of Netflix series have and a lot of series on streaming have that they have too much filler. I thought they could have made about half the episodes and skipped a bunch of the filler, but it was it was a... The action was good. The special effects were great. I thought I, I enjoyed it. Did you watch the uh, the movie that was the two hour uh, movie that came out as well? It was a remake of the, the Lost in Space franchise. Yeah, I think so. Yes, I did watch that. I, I watched everything back in the nineties. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if you skipped any. I'm just you know hitting, hitting yeah. all the bases. Yeah. So uh, and, and uh, I, I liked it. Yeah. I, I thought that the guy from Friends was badly miscast, but oh, God, yes. aside yes. from that, I liked it. I just kept waiting for him to be like, "How are you?" Yeah, I mean, you got William, <laughs> William Hurt was was uh, Doctor Robinson, right? Yeah, yeah, William yeah, Hurt I, I, and Joey from Friends. I, mean, I don't that didn't work for me. <laughs> you, you grabbed a a list, very dramatic, Oscar award winning actor to play that role, and they and, and the guy who played uh, Doctor Smith was an Oscar award winning actor too, wasn't he? Yeah. Why would you put Joey from Friends in that movie? <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but that is a good question. We ever get this interview? Yeah, George Clooney, probably too big at that point. I don't know. It might have been before he got really big, but somebody no, he was big, but he wasn't. He wasn't bringing in Oscars yet. He wasn't. You know, he George Clooney would have been a much better person for that. Anybody, anybody oh, else would be better. So his delivery, his delivery on those lines was so, I mean, the lines were kind of campy as it was. And then you put Joey from Friends delivering those lines. Ah. Yeah. 
It delivered so, like Joe did. Yeah. So first, first, Nick, we will note this publisher should be happy. He's wearing one of their T-shirts. So that's good. Uh, Athon Books. And uh, speaking of your publisher and science fiction in general, we're going to get back on books. What is it about speculative fiction sort of as an umbrella genre that you love so much? Uh, the, the lack of limitations, really. I mean, you write anything that happens in the real world, even if it's even if it's uh, like in the past, far the past, you know, a long time ago, and we don't know everything that happened, you're still constrained by a lot of things, by events that you know happened, by people that lived and what they did. You know, I, I feel like, I, I mean, I used to plot out and write partial books of historical fiction, Westerns, all that kind of thing. And I never finished them because it felt too constraining. It felt like I couldn't do what I wanted to do because reality got in the way. Reality will do that to you. It will. Oh, yeah. Good old reality. I like being able to, I like to being able to, you know, just make up historical events. So I have to do it in the future. So is it true that you got your degree when you commissioned in the army at Hand Wavium University? Are you um, a distinguished? No, I, I I got it from almost as imaginary place though, Florida Southern College. <laughs> no, I've heard of that. They even have a football team. No, they don't. They do now. No, you're know. thinking of USF, University of South Florida, I think. Probably. I'll have Florida to South, look that up. Florida Southern does not have a football team. Their baseball team has done pretty well and their soccer team, but uh, never had football. They're a small private Methodist college. All right. I'm a small Catholic, so, I mean. They did have ROTC, which is how I paid for college. <laughs> well, there's that. All right, Nick. Speaking of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How did your love of speculative fiction, uh, the speculative fiction genre, transition into you writing stories in the wild world of speculative fiction? Honestly, I started writing because seriously started writing. I mean, I tried to write short stories as a kid, but I never really was too, I was never really good at finishing them, but I really seriously got into it because nobody was writing the stuff I wanted to read. Did you get a degree in uh, literature or writing? History. History. That's just as good. Just <laughs> as good. I've actually noticed a lot of authors have, have history degrees. Well, I mean, writing is, writing is the too. only Writing in the military is the only thing I've ever done with that history degree, so I could have gotten a degree in anything, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going for history, and then I took a, I got lost on the way to history class, ended up in a graphic design class, and just stuck with that. <laughs> You're probably better off. Yeah, I, I don't work in that field anymore either. <laughs> I mean, I love history, don't get me wrong, but I yeah. can learn a lot about history just by reading on my own. Right. Taking it, as a, taking it as a course in college, mm -hmm will come very close to robbing you of your love for history. Trust me when I say that. I tried to get a graduate degree in it. And uh, even if we hadn't wound up with my wife having her first kid, and so I had to leave that behind, I probably would have stopped because there's nothing to rob you of your love of history like trying to get a graduate degree in it. <laughs> I actually had the opposite experience. I, I enjoyed my history as an undergrad, and I enjoyed grad school. If it weren't for the head injury, I would have finished my, my master's. Well, your college Sorry. must have been different than mine because our our history department 
in that college, uh, one of the professors had camouflage netting and a picture of Fidel Castro on his wall. Oof. I went and to a Jesuit was, college for my well, master's degree in Villanova. So it was yeah. a little bit different experience. There's actual functioning monastery on site. Oh, um, it's, in it, was, my college, it was a unique experience. In my college, the Marxists were the conservative ones. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. The deconstructionists wow. okay. were the really wild ones. And you went to college a while ago before all the craziness uh, took over the world. So that's not even an excuse. Went, it's not modern time. School. I went to graduate school in the mid-90s. This, the, those college professors that I had are the reason we have the modern world. <laughs> um, all right. But, but Doc doesn't like us to talk politics. And so we'll have to save that for after we hit the stop publishing or recording and I'll let Nick push us forward. Well, I, you, you get know, to be the responsible one today. It honestly isn't, uh, even, okay. it isn't even politics. It's, it has to do with a philosophy of history. Which is, yeah. you know, it's 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 whether whether you believe you can actually know what happened in history, and that yeah. the idea of that was enough to put me off of it. But go ahead. <laughs> You're talking about historiography, the history of history. history. Uh, it's deconstructionism of history. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one class I got a B in. I hated that class. But anyway, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to talk over anybody. I'm trying to get this question. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. No worries. Fire for effect. Uh, many authors. Uh, Repeat. <laughs> Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Every five minutes until I get drunk. Uh, <laughs> through chaos. Anyway, getting back into focus. Get the a lot key. of authors. Uh, Chief Tequila. Now I'm speaking my language. A lot of authors let their own uh, real life experiences influence the stories that they tell. Uh, were there any specific formidable moments that really shaped you as a storyteller? Um, I don't know that there was any specific life experiences. I, I think that going through uh, military history classes and ROTC and then going into the Army and just – and honestly, a lot of the things that shaped me as a storyteller were the stories my father told me about World War II because – yeah. His 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 stories in World War II were so much more interesting than anything that ever happened to me. So well, he served as a on a bomber, right? He was a nose gunner on a B twenty four bomber. Whew. Got yeah. shot down over the Palestine oil fields in uh, uh, over in uh, in nineteen forty four and spent nine months in a prisoner of war camp. Oof. Wow. Yeah, do so do you ever plan on writing those stories that he told you down for uh, posterity's sake? Um, I mean, I don't remember enough to really make a narrative of them that would, that would last more than a chapter. Um, unfortunately, that's one of the things I wish we had done before he passed away was have him like write down all the stuff that had happened to him. I remember like a narrative. I mean, I remember like a, a timeline of what happened to him, but it, there was so much more that he told me that if I could have like filled in a bunch of blanks would have been a, a great book. Do you ever incorporate those stories, those like stories your dad told you into some of what you write? I have, I've incorporated the feel of some of them into some of what I've written, but I mean, that's, that's another thing. I know you you want to usually ask about how my military experiences, you know, affect too, but the problem is that a lot of what I've written involves special operations troops 
and you know people who are like on the cutting edge and there's not there's very the only one that I've written that involves just regular Joes is Drop Trooper and I incorporated a lot of what my father told me and my experiences into Drop Trooper during the war because they were just regular Marines they weren't like special operations but it's hard for me to incorporate stuff like uh, a private coming to me and to get counseled because he's late on the payments for the furniture he rented uh, into a book about like commandos who are, you know, physically augmented with claws and so, stuff. And <laughs> if, if there's any young PFC listening, don't do that. Don't rent the dang furniture. Go to a Goodwill, go to a thrift shop, save up until you can buy it outright. They're a scam. They're trying to charge you 30% interest is not a good rate. Don't do it, people. Well, or also don't ask us how we know. Don't get married at 19 years old is another piece of advice. And oh, just yeah. because she says she yeah, loves you and you're different from all the other customers at the gentleman's establishment, don't believe her. I'm so she does not love do you. It. She wants your money. And TRICARE. It's the TRICARE. So we talked a little bit about how you incorporate or not some of your yeah, <laughs> some of your dad's uh, your dad's experience and, and how yours sometimes affects or doesn't the stories you tell. But you're your son has served, you have served, your dad has served. Do you incorporate any of that generational feel into when you're writing um, your military universes? Um, some of them I have. Um, a lot of my more successful books involve people who are breaking away from their family traditions and beliefs and what their parents want for them to go into the military and fight in a war. So I haven't incorporated that generational feel as much, but there's a couple of the books where it's brought in, like uh, the one we're here to talk about is is a generational type of thing. Um, but I, for some reason, that's a, a character trait that I use a lot is people who are breaking away and rebelling against their family. So not as much as I might have if I made my own you know, experiences. Okay. So do you ever draw on people that you knew while you were in the military? Sometimes. Um, I never make them major characters because I don't want to have them read the book and get insulted. <laughs> but I make, I make them minor characters, you know. Like uh, there was a XO in my company who uh, – got kicked up to staff on his way out before um, officer's advance course. And uh, I've used, he, he, he was a really cool guy, very uh, together and never let anything, you know, bother him and always had like a, a sarcastic comment to make about everything. And I've, I've used him several times as different characters. Okay. I've used his name uh for other characters because he had a really cool name. So we've talked about how your time in the military and your exposure to it uh, as a family unit has affected the way you do or don't tell stories. But does that affect how you engage with content, the military science fiction you love to read and write, the uh, the movies, the books, the comics, all the things? Does it affect how you engage with them as a consumer? Well, it makes me more like observant of mistakes, but which probably ticks off people who watch movies with me. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. Although I'm not as bad. I have I have a friend, a late friend now. He died recently, but he uh, 
he would just sit there and pick apart movies who had that had uniform mistakes. And, uh, he, yeah, and he was a he was into like um, historical military stuff too. So Civil War, you know, uh, World War One, World War Two. He'd be just sitting there like that's not how they wore that uniform. That's not that's not where the rank went. You know, he'd just be just going on on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh-huh. those those people are fun, um, but but sometimes if you're going to do that, you got to pause the movie so you can argue about it while not Talk interrupting the movie. Uh, <laughs> oops! <laughs> Wait till this ends. I have some words for you. <laughs> All right. Speaking of words, Nick, it's your turn. All right. I love words. I'm transitioning away from words to writing side. I like picture books. I'm a grown. Um, I know you haven't gotten any um, fan art or cosplays yet um, for any of your characters from your books. Um, But if someone picked one of your main characters, which one would you want to see first? I think uh, Caleb Mitchell would be the one because he has a distinctive look. Him and all the... In Glory Boy, he's like this physically augmented commando... um, it's a group of of uh, ten people, young officers who are selected because people think they're dead to go in this commando unit, and they they wear these distinctive uh, camouflaged uniforms that shift patterns. I'd like to see somebody, and they have claws, kind of like Wolverine. <laughs> so I'd like to see somebody cosplay as that. Wow. The only the only fan art I've ever gotten was somebody drew a picture of a a um, assault shuttle from one of my books once. That's that's it. Nobody's ever drawn any of the characters. Yeah, but like a lot of people don't even draw the the vehicles or the ships. I think that's probably cooler than the characters. That's just me. And now there's dead air. I'm gonna keep talking until someone else says something else. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I know a lot of people make their ships distinctive like with distinctive shapes mine are more utilitarian i guess that's just the pragmatic part of my brain that won't let me form yeah um most of them are are wedge shaped you know like you can imagine assault shuttles are like you know they're wedge shaped for maximum efficiency when they go into an atmosphere uh big cruisers are well, I mean, yeah, but it's a shuttle. <laughs> uh, yeah, big, big cruisers, shape, I mean. Yeah, big cruisers are like shaped like an. If you remember the Sulaco from Aliens, mm-hmm. just a big version of that, just you know, a slab mm-hmm. of metal, you know, because that's meant to stay in space, never meant yeah. to go into Atmo. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I, I guess I don't make the ships distinctive enough for people to, you know, imagine them that much. Well, for that one kid, he's like, I got to draw this thing. That's cool. That's really cool. Okay. So Nick Nick is not catching the next question, so I'm going to steal it from him because that's just what I do. So uh, okay, well then do it. I know you're out of practice because you've been you've been saving America as a blah 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 secret agent man. A lot of interviews, but anyway, you guys are safe for now. Uh, (laughs) That's what you think. Yeah, not really. But I can't do that on the air. I'm not fired. I like my job. 
Now we're going to talk about everything that is you um, and what you've written. Can you give us the, you said something like, uh, before we start, 50 something novels? 56. Okay, so we're going to need the Reader's Digest highlights reel <laughs> of your body of work. Okay, so there's the Duty Honor Planet trilogy. Um, it's the first series I finished. There is the Birthright four book series, which starts with Glory Boy and then ends with Enemy of My Enemy. There is the Recon series, it's four books long. There's the Acheron series, it's four books long. There's the Side War series, it's three books long. Some of these aren't out yet anymore because I sold the rights to a bunch of them to Aethon and they're relaunching them. So okay. if, if I say ones that you don't see, they will be out you know, within the next year. Um, there's the uh, Mech Force trilogy that I wrote with Drew Avery. There's Wholesale Slaughter, which is a six book series. There is the Earth at War series, which is six books long. Book six will be coming out soon. Um, there is, where am I at? <laughs> there's the, uh, the Drop Trooper series, which is currently 10 books long. I'm about to start work on book 11. There's the Holy War series, which was four books long. Uh, there is the Sun Killer trilogy that I did with J.N. Cheney. Um, and I'm currently writing the Gates of Hell, or the Gates of Eternity series, which is going to be three books long minimum. I'm, I've just finished book two. And I wrote a single book called Seeds of Gaia. And I think that's it. I don't know if I, oh yeah, I forgot. The uh, Star Bounty uh, series, four book series that, I, that just came out with Aethon Books. They relaunched it. It used to be called Interstellar Bounty Hunter, but they relaunched it as Star Bounty. And I think that's about it. I, uh, I don't think I've missed any. I'm looking back at my bookshelf there. I believe that's it. <laughs> so first, we're going to need a warning in writing if you got a book that's titled is something like Wholesale Slaughter because Nick's going to need a moment in his bunk with a name huh. like that. But but after that, you know, that's, that's a, just an interesting story. Interesting story about how I got that name too. Um, oh, go ahead. I have, a I have a friend whose last name was Slaughter. He's the one that died recently, um, and he used to uh, work for uh, a gun shop. And he wanted to open his own gun store. And I told him that if he opened one, he should name it Wholesale Slaughter. And since he never used it, I uh, I took that name back and used it for uh, a series. That's a good name. You can't let that go to waste. Yeah. Now, the ones that they're going to... Um, uh, I've lost my word. Not re redistribute the uh, ones that are re sold. Republish. Relaunch. Republished. Thank you. Oh my God. My infantry brain just shut down for a second. Or worked up. I don't know. But uh, are they putting new cover art on there? Yes, they put new cover art. Uh, some some of them have new titles like Star Bounty. Uh, but yeah, they uh, they've uh, you know re-edited them. So some of a few of them already have audiobooks from back when they were originally published, so they can't. We can't like redo the plots or anything, but they've re-edited them to take out mistakes and things like that. 
Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. Ignore Elvis. You, he's um, Elvis, he's being greedy. Elvis loves it. He does. So while well, that. There we go. <laughs> so that all sounds fascinating, obviously, but we're here to talk about the uh, Gates of Hell, which is the first book in the Gates of Eternity series. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? Uh, well, I wanted something. I had, I had written mostly stuff that takes place in the not far future, but kind of like two to three hundred years in the future. Except Wholesale Slaughter and Seeds of Gale, which are thousands of years in the future. But I hadn't written much that was near future. And um, I wrote Earth at War. That series is like about 15 or 20 years from now. And Sun Killer was about 50 years. But I wanted to do some a science fiction series that took place now. So I could work in, you know, current type. Now, I wanted a Stargate feel to it, you know. And when you have a Stargate type of book where it's current technology battling aliens uh you have to get the aliens to her somehow which meant gates <laughs> so I, I had the idea of start mixing stargate with doom and mm -hmm. uh so gates open monsters come through them you know military guys fight them so that's that's where i got the initial idea for it that is a, is a good way to get it, and uh, we will rock that out. So uh, as we uh, wait before we dive too deep into that series, The uh, the Gates of Eternity, we are going to pause for a beautiful cover art. Yeah, that's that's next, and that's you. That's your that's your art thing. That's like all you that's, with your pictures. That and is pretty the only type of job on this podcast. Well, I mean, that <laughs> and your winning personality. Uh, and we have history, but we didn't know that when we hired you. But uh, we're going to take a moment where we pause to shamelessly shill for the man. Humanity will be free, no matter the cost. Deep in the Guatemalan jungle, buried beneath a forgotten Mayan pyramid, an earth-shattering secret sits, waiting. Its discovery will rip apart the illusion that humanity is alone in the universe. Engaged in a life-and-death struggle for the future of mankind, Harry Rogers and Jess Cook are forced to protect this secret from the most despicable foes imaginable. They must race across the globe to complete Liberty Station, the first true interplanetary ship. Only then can they search for the shocking truth behind what they found. They have no room for error, because failure means death for them, and subjugation for everyone else. Presenting Liberty Station, Book One of Humanity Unlimited, written by Terry Mixon. Purchase your copy on Amazon and learn more about the author and his works at terrymixon.com. Obviously, if you've listened to this show for more than two episodes, you know I, I absolutely adore that man's work for all he's a heathen who doesn't know who the right main character is in the Empire Phone series. But uh, thank you, Terry, for sponsoring. And on that note, I get to uh, bring up the art and uh, Nick gets to shine and do his thing. Oh, man, I got nothing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dig into this beautiful piece of art right here. Um, do you have any influence or input in the art in the artist's work? Is it somebody they knew? Is it someone that... It's not somebody I knew. Uh, the artist is Jeff Brown for this book. Um, I 
talked to Steve Boyer, who's you know one of the owners of Athon, and he asked me what I think would be good for the cover. You know, ideas of for the cover. I mean, I give him a bunch of ideas. He picks out what he thinks will look best. He talks to the artist, and I said, well, it's got to be some kind of a gate with a soldier. I mean, you could have you could have monsters. We didn't wind up putting them in because it wouldn't look too busy. Uh, so he came up with this, and I said, "Let you know." One of the things that um, I find is a, a good way of doing business is letting the guys who are good at art make up covers that will sell the book, and not nitpicking. Well, that's not a rifle that's in the book. You know, why is this right. guy? Why is this guy wearing a helmet like that? Why? What? No, it it looks good. It's a, it's a great picture you know the gate shouldn't be surrounded by that stuff it's a uh, free floating you know, I it, it looks good it's a, it's a great cover it will it will attract people's attention and it'll sell books so I don't care if little you know about little details that might be different from the book it doesn't matter it, it definitely will um, I like that everything's center framed um, everything kind of works with this um, you've got a really cool looking gate um, you it, you look past it you can tell he's on a ship, he's out in outer space, you got this futuristic soldier with a badass looking weapon, um, you got some really good light sources going on there, um, a lot of color. So these are all things that like are really eye-catching. So if you're like walking and you're looking for a new book to read, and if it's there, you're like, oh man, that's like what's pretty cool, what that's about. So, and that, your industry, the comic book industry, it's, we're always judged on what the cover looks like now. So who cares if it's... You, you can so you you can judge a book by its cover. Oh, absolutely! That's been proven <laughs> false for the last forty years. I mean, Marvel and DC used to do comic book covers during the eighties and nineties. That it would be a beautiful cover had nothing to do with what was going on. Oh, I like, know. Trust me. You know, huge fan. You know, and those. Are <laughs> ones I mean, <clears throat> the story might have been crap, but the cover was cool, and I kept and I bought it for the cover. So it sits in my collection thirty years later. Because it had a cool cover, and um, yeah, I really a crap that. story, but not crap art. No, yeah, yeah, the art's always top notch, especially during those eras. That's that's my uh, my perfect age of comics right there. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about this. Um, I really like the font uh, with the A being kind of like slashed. Um, I really like how like the E, like everything looks like it would fit in a perfect square. No, it's a sweet looking cover. I totally buy it. If I knew nothing about so, anything, I'd, I'd pick it so, up. So one of the things that hampered us, because normally I could zoom in and Nick could do his thing and go in detail, but we're actually pre-recording this before this launches. So uh, by the time when we air this episode, we, we we're timing it right at launch time. But uh, that means that the art that I can normally Google to find the cover art with higher pixel counts just isn't there. So you know, at the last minute, I realized that I'm like, uh. Rick, hook us up. <laughs> so this was what he could grab real quick. So we apologize for that, but you should you should definitely check it out. We will link to Gates of Hell um, on the show notes. I'm gonna try to start doing that when we interview a guest, specifically the product that we talk about. I'll try to throw those in the show notes. Um, trying to get in that habit, and when I do, seriously, people, go check out this art because it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. I I had that as a poster on my wall. I may. Right. I still have a lot of room on my wall. <laughs> you got you got to put it up there. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Let's talk about your series and what makes it so special. Rick, what, what do you think makes oh, your series I'm special? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear Nick. Um, um, I, I think that uh, the, of course, the character is always what I start with first, but I think the fact that it's a current day series that involves a lot of the modern zeitgeist, you know, and uh, society, it, it, it offers a different, uh, a different beat to the, to the conversations, you know, you, you're, you, you have a, when you hear people talking in a futuristic story, you have to understand the background of what they're saying. And as a writer, you have to some, somewhere in the story put in the background for their conversation, which means sometimes you can't get into conversations that are more natural that people really have in real life. But if you write one that takes place in the modern day, you don't have to explain the subtext of, of what they're talking about because everybody understands. So uh, do you... Do you worry that that'll make the story dated, that it won't hold up to the test of time? When you when you have it set in the modern age, you know, as things I go have, forward, do you I worry about that? 50, I have 56 novels written. If a couple of them are dated, I think I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry to interrupt, Nick. Your turn again. Oh, well, I mean, that's a really good description. Uh do you have like a 30 second elevator pitch that you use to describe this book? Okay. Um, a government experiment rips open gates in space time to a hive mind planet full of monsters that start coming through to earth to try to conquer us. And the only ones standing in their way are one Delta force team and a young National Guardsman from Wyoming. There you go. Uh, well, first off, we, we do know that Delta Force isn't real. The government said so. It's purely myth. Uh, Nick They're doesn't know anything about now, that. They? They're called yeah, Ace I don't know. now, aren't they? They were CAG, uh, and now I think they're Ace. I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah, they change their names like every four years. They probably got some other name besides Ace. Once you've heard Ace, they probably have like you know, dart or, you know, douche or something. At one time, there was an army, of, an army of Northern Virginia, which yeah. they were never in Virginia. So, so uh, which tropes do you feel like Gates of Fire hits the best? I don't know. I, it's been a long time since I've seen Gates of Fire. Gates of Hell. I'm sorry. Gates of Hell. Um, it's, it's got the... Um, the, uh, you know, faceless alien horde got that one down. And the, uh, it's got the, the gates through space and uh, the elite military team and the plucky uh, main character. <laughs> it's got all those. Don't call us plucky. We don't know what that means. Yeah. Uh, apparently, though. Uh, Nick, we learned this today. He can't wrestle the bears, though, or the aliens. He has to wrestle them. But he will wrestle them. He will wrestle, wrestle them. alligators. He'll wrestle okay. alligators. But you got to be—it's regional. 
So obviously this is a science fiction novel, and I'm guessing mill sci-fi because, you know, that's what you do. But what other uh, genres or subgenres would you feel like this story fits into? I'm going to alien. Romance. <laughs> well, it does that. Alien actually, uh, It's an alien invasion, uh, space opera, um, action-adventure. Possibly a little post-apocalyptic coming, you never know. <laughs> Fair, fair. So, uh, uh, I do think that anything that involves a, uh, a fire, well, did you, you well, you know, we'll, we'll circle back to that because we do it later, but anything that involves weapon can be a romance because, you know, my, my platoon sergeant told me if you grab him by the balls, the rest will follow. Ah, funny. So, I mean, that is a good way to, to build goodwill, I'm told. There's actually a love uh, triangle in this book. Really? Sort of. Between Smith and Wesson and the, and the plucky main character? No, now it's uh, between the main, the ant, the protagonist, his love interest, and the antagonist who's currently engaged to her. What? Interesting, interesting. All right, so now let's talk about the uh, the more specifically the main, the story. So, what uh, about the main character makes him or her unique in the crowd of field of science fiction? Uh, I um, uh, I spent a lot of time building this main character. Um, he is a half Native American Shoshone um, young man from Riverton, Wyoming, whose father is retired Special Forces NCO. Um, mother died of cancer. Father uh, had, you know, back injuries from, from uh, the war and uh, came back and wound up addicted to uh, painkillers and got in trouble legally and also once he got off the painkillers was pretty much laid up with his back so the kid couldn't go to college because his mom was gone and his dad needed him so he went to work uh, several different jobs just so they could keep their house and his only outlet is um, USPSA shooting yeah. and he, uh, he does that you know on the cheap with a cheap handgun cheap as you can get away with anybody who knows guns it's a canic um which is a turkish nine millimeter which is a really good gun but it's very inexpensive and uh so he's also in the wyoming national guard which is close to he meant to he wanted to be be an officer but he could they had to skip college because he had to go to work um his girlfriend in high school went off to college, the same college as his basically worst enemy in high school. And uh, they wound up engaged after college. And he's and he works part time for the father of the kid of the guy who's engaged to his ex-girlfriend. So, so he's, he's so basically like a, the... got a hard luck life and is, you know, like just barely keeping afloat. You can't catch a break. Mm. Okay. He is that, very good uh, with a gun. <laughs> so I wanted you to know that uh, we were actually proud to announce, Nick and I, that Kanek was actually going to sponsor this uh, next episode. But after this, I just don't know that that's going to work. <laughs> so, uh, so Nick, we're going to have to find another sponsor. Thanks, Rick. I'll, Sorry. I'll keep looking around. I don't know. <laughs> Walter, get um, Walter. I love my PDP compact. <laughs> oh, yes. Are there any secondary characters who uh, 
are like stick out in your mind throughout. Oh the yeah, there's lots of them. Um, the whole Delta Without team. Spoilers, the whole Delta team is full of interesting characters. Um, the the leader of the team is a master sergeant named Reeves, who's very jaded and cynical and has been doing this for a long time, like almost twenty years. And uh, but the the most interesting side character is is Shaw, who's with the warrant officer on the team, because you know warrant officers. <laughs> yeah, no one knows where a chief is. Well, he's a he's you know he's a he's in Delta or CAG or Ace or whatever you want to call it. So he's squared away and he knows his stuff and he, but he's very much a smart mouth and just oh, yeah. jokes about everything. So yeah, um, the chief. So he's he's a very interesting character. Uh, the the colonel who's in who's in charge of their team is is like both very very professional and also kind of a prick. So uh, like all the best colonels. Yeah, like all, all the best colonels. <laughs> and the worst colonels are pricks and not professionals. But um, right, agreed. So yeah, I, there's a lot of interesting side characters. Uh, and I mean, I would I would call them kind of semi main characters. Even uh, Wash Williams is the main character. It's Kyle Washaki Williams is his full name. He's that's a, a Native American middle name, and um, he is one of the main characters. And so is Reeves, and so is um, a woman named Valon, who's human but not from Earth. All right. I was gonna say it's not a very human name. Like it's that. it's a kind of a semi Greek, semi Latin name, which is a little clue to her origin. Okay. All right, I'm digging it. Um, speaking of these characters, because these ga- I will say that the gates have been around a long, long time. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. I'm picking it up. I'm I'm starting to put pieces together now. This is awesome. All right. So I mean, if this was a movie, I'd watch it. So. Oh yeah. Well, I would because I don't read so good. But yeah. If it was a comic book, Nick would read it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Very small bubbles, easy to follow. You're good to go. So if you met any of these characters in a back alley, um, after how would they treat you after the hell you put them through? <laughs> um. I don't know. Wash. If Wash blamed me for his. The first part of his life, he'd probably beat the hell out of me. But uh, I mean, I kind of improve his lot some <laughs> from what it was, because at least he's doing something important now. Uh, the Delta Force guys probably would think that it's the most fun they've ever had. So no, I don't think they'd be mad at all. <laughs> I mean, what's more fun than going through holes in space and fighting bug-eyed monsters? I mean, that sounds awesome. Okay. I mean, you know, that's the most exciting thing they'll do with their clothes on. So I, I think that's winning. With or without, probably. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They have not been to some of the clubs we have been to, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying. They'll find love and share tri lo- The stripper does not love you, JR. No, he doesn't. <laughs> you can't buy it, but you can rent it for a dollar. An hour. <laughs> Inflation, Nick. It's, oh, okay. So, 
three thousand dollars an hour, you can rent love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Nick, save us from ourselves. Uh, I have to. I have to. Who else is going to do it? Throwing a lifeline here. Um, obviously, your story has an antagonist, as is the bad guys. Um, without giving away any spoilers, why don't you tell us a little bit how many? Like, is it just one antagonist? We got two or three? Is it based There's- on who's fighting who? There's basically two main antagonists. Uh, one is personal antagonist, which is his gr- ex-girlfriend's fiance. Yeah. I won't say how they wind up tangling throughout the book because that would give away too much way of spoilers. Um, yeah, and, and there's also the hive mind, which is the main bad guy, not just antagonist, but the villain, you know, the bad guy. It's yeah. a, it's a thing. If you can, I don't know if you've read about these slime molds that are like as big as a forest and live under the ground. They're like the biggest, cre- biggest living creatures on earth. Yeah, I just saw a video on it about um, like a flesh cave. Well, imagine if every one of every cell of one of those things was a brain cell, Oof. and you have the hive mind, and it lives underground and creates these these monsters that serve it and uh, act as its, you know, drones, warriors, whatever you want to call them. Right. And um, because it has access to these gates and because you can communicate through the gates, it exists on hundreds of worlds like that. So there's hundreds of hive worlds that where it basically has stripped the planet's bare killed everything intelligent and just exists as like this giant hive mind through interstellar space connected by the gates. Well, sounds scary as hell. I'm getting on a ship. So what you're saying is you can um, kill aliens and get paid in this novel. Yeah, but there's no mech suits. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, you know, one thing we did learn is the only hive mind, the only good hive mind is a dead hive mind. That's a paraphrase. So. It's hard to kill something that lives. It's like each cell is a brain cell and lives on hundreds of planets. Well, yeah. so one thing Nick taught me is if we nuke it from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. But you will take it out. So we well, do what we can. Multiple. It's it's harder than that. You have to nuke it. You have to nuke it from the inside to kill it. It okay. lives on the ground. So for something that difficult, we'll just send the Rangers. They'll make it happen. <laughs> right, Nick? Yeah. I mean, they, they the, doing stuff the, like that. the regiment will handle it. So, have you ever heard of the Volturi, Nick? Uh, the name sounds familiar, yeah. Romanian Special Forces. Okay, yeah, that's where I heard it from. No, they, they actually have a, have a uh, part to play in book two. No, nope. they <laughs> You guys are speaking his language? The Grog. I don't remember what the Polish, name of the Polish Special Forces is. Um, it's like Grog or... I want to say Grom, but I think that's a truck. Grom. <laughs> I don't know. They're badass, too. I got to play with them a little bit in Ukraine for Shake Out Wild. So the, the previous Ukraine, he, he's not part of the present thing, people, so <laughs> chill. Yeah, uh, so like finally... Nobody officially is part of the current... Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, before we get security violations and the CIA comes knocking on our door, we're going to say, finally, what can you tell us about the larger universe that is the Gates of Eternity series? Uh, in many series, the worlds where the story takes place is as much a character as the antagonist or the protagonist. So what can we expect from um, the modern Earth as you created it as a one-for-one -one parallel and of the alien um, worlds? Well, like I said, the gates have been around a long time, and we are not the first humans to go through them. And we also didn't create them. Um, they were created by an alien race that, uh, that nobody knows where they went. But there's not, that's not to say that they're definitely not there anymore. Um, and the gates connect thousands and thousands of worlds, but it's pretty random and it's not random, but it's, it's unknowable where each gate goes to without going through it. It's not like in Stargate where you dial up an address and go through, you have to go through the gate to find out where it hit, where it goes to oh, wow. and, uh, or send a drone through, I guess you could do that too. But, uh, you, you, you can't, you can't just say, well, I want to go to Alpha Centauri. So I'll go to this gate and dial up Alpha Centauri. You have to, keep going through gates until you find out where you want to go. And since a lot of those gates go to hive mind worlds, that's a very dangerous proposition. So are, is each gate like locationally locked? So one gate goes to one place and that's it? Or is it a multitude yes. of options? One gate, one, gate, one gate goes to one place. So it's almost like an intergalactic highway. You would have to learn the, the marks. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, it's, I don't know that um, I don't know that anybody's going to have a map of this highway though, because as I said, a lot of these gates happen randomly because of a mistake that we made. Things were pretty much stable until we upset the apple cart. That happens early in the first book, so I'm not giving away any big spoilers. But we do something that opens a whole bunch of gates, and not only opens them one time, but it starts an effect that keeps opening them. And we don't know okay. how to stop it. So they're going to ride the lightning and see what happens. That is not Elvis, people, I swear. Um, so yeah, Gates, like of, <laughs> Gates of Hell is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon. There are currently two books out in the series. You mentioned that well, at a no minimum... Books, there's no books are out yet. The first one well, there are two out. books for oh, sale, and they that's right. they will be out when we release this. Uh, but there are currently two books listed for sale. But what what's next? Where do you see this series going? Well, it's going to be a minimum of three books uh, because that was what we have a contract with uh, the audio publishers to make. <laughs> uh, after that, it's going to depend on how well uh, the first three sell. If people like the series and want to read more of it, I think I can probably make more of it for them. I, I'm not going to close things off. So uh, I think that I would be able to take this for a long time if I, if I had incentive to. But I also think that after book three, you could not read anything else and not feel cheated. Now, I don't plan on leaving book three as a cliffhanger. So it's okay. definitely going to be three books. 
Maybe so, <laughs> so the incentive is it's on you, dear reader. Read the book, tell your friends, leave a review, do the things that helps. But uh, we know that every universe in, in literature, at least the good ones, have their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. Obviously, this is modern-day Earth, so that tech we understand. You mentioned the gates and explained that, but what other tech can we expect from on the other side of these gates? Um, well, there's the technology left over from these ancient aliens. Um, they... Um, I don't want to reveal too much about where they left this technology because that's a spoiler, but they, they do have, they did have starships at one time. And one of fooling around with what's left of one of them is what opens the gates. Sounds like a party. We're going to have to read it and check it out. But there's, there's not a lot of the technology left over. There's only what they gave to certain people and um most of that is fairly low level because these people were not advanced enough to handle anything more so the gates is okay. the main the, the gates and also the the hive mind has uh biotechnology that uses to grow its workers it doesn't have any in its warriors it doesn't have any um any like nuts and bolts technology though it's all biomechanic uh, bi biological okay so that tail really does have a mind of its own got it all right nick it's on you <laughs> uh of all the tech that you invented for this universe which one would you want to have for your daily use god it'd be nice to have a gate to go where i want to <laughs> no more driving no more paying you know inflated gas prices would you abuse that technology? Well, if you call it abuse, I mean, I would use it a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, whether I abuse it or not depends on whether uh, you're the one that's that's would have been there first if I hadn't just stepped through a gate. <laughs> so you didn't really like you open up a gate, throw like a softball at their head or something. Sorry, I couldn't hear I, you. Said it. You know, something you didn't like, you just opened up a gate and threw a softball at their head and then closed the gate so they just get that out of nowhere. Things like uh, that. Or open gates to really bad places and just push them through. Oops. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I have a million ways I could use that. <laughs> Hypothetically, Mr. FBI man who's watching. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, not, not like with the real gates through space time that we have available to us. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I'm just saying there's a reason they shut down the storming area 51. All right. They didn't want us to know. Well, they moved it over to site four. That's another story for another time. All right, Nick. Next one's you. Of course it is. Um, it's really going to be a merger of two questions because I think it's better that way. Just, no offense, JR. You wrote it beautifully. Does the SEC approve this merger? Uh, no. Well, I mean, I what they don't know I'll won't hurt them, right? I'll, okay. I'll give them a, a bottle of Jack Daniels and slip them a 20, and we should be good to you go. That works for the armor, just saying. It does. Well, I can, depending on the armor, you get away with 10. But anyway, I digress. Wait, you're saying I overpaid? Oh, you told me. Now you tell me? Well, man, we met years. Well, I mean, we couldn't really do introductions at the time we met, but years later we met again, too late. We're both out. 
So we we discussed that there's there's alien creatures in this series. Um, what was your inspiration to for these types of creatures? I mean, they come from nightmares, maybe a, a drunken bender. I don't know, but uh, what really inspired you to create these these aliens? Well, I wanted to be vaguely insect insect like because hive mind sounds like insects, so the things that it creates are the the warrior drones that it creates are if you can imagine something that has the eyes of and head of a fly uh, the body of a the hulk <laughs> talons for hands and a tail like a scorpion with a stinger full of acid that'll eat through metal. Oh, that's nightmare fuel, man. That is nightmare fuel. That's why the people who ran into them before us called them demons. That is some Kafka-esque stuff right there, buddy. Yeah. That's Except this one will get though. killed when it gets hit by an apple. <laughs> Too shit. Um, All right, Nick. All right. Bring us home. Bring us home. Uh, before we wrap everything up, uh, was there anything about the Gates of Hell first book in the Gates of Eternity series, see how that went, JR, that we didn't talk about that you, <laughs> you want to bring up now before we move on? Well, it's got a lot of, um, if you're if you're a um, gun guy, it's got a lot of that in it. And because obviously there's a lot of shooting going on at these alien monsters. So, I mean... If you, if you like if you if you want to read about uh, all the heavy weapons that we can scrounge up like uh, sig m5 spears and uh, m110as and hk417s anything they'll throw a big bullet that'll crack through their carapace any Carl Gustav action going on no yeah. you know I've, I've they have to walk a lot of these places and they mostly don't carry crew serve weapons or missiles because you know they there's a lot of demons you have to kill so you don't want anything it's only gonna give you one shot or, or just a few shots and then you have to still carry it they do uh, most of them have the uh, 302s though nice the grenade launcher almost pistol thing oh no, yeah, it used to be the 203, and then... Now they're, they don't mount them underneath the weapons anymore. They're like a a folding, a collapsible stock, almost a pistol. It looks like a fat pistol. So yeah, they went back to the, almost the bloop guns, the old, yes, the old it's, version. It's like the old thumper, yeah, except it's shorter, yeah. I think, even. And it's got, a folding, yeah. it's got a collapsible stock. It's pretty fun. It's fun. They use those a lot. Although, in, All right. book, in book three, I think they will probably wind up using lots of heavy weapons because the aliens come closer to their uh, supply chain, let's say. <laughs> they're, they're, okay. They're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, logistical chain. There you go. I'm just saying, mama knows. Mama knows. So before we forget, uh, what age range would you say this story is sort of geared at? Like, If you were going to let your kid, how old would they be before you let them read this novel? Uh, late teens, probably. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, violence and 
and they're 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 military people, so there's a lot of f words getting thrown around. F and A. I appreciate that. So before we let you go, dear listener, we'd like to remind you that uh, writing and reading is a two-way street. It's simpatico like that. So you need to do your part and please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And uh, legend has it that uh, when the author such as Rick gets his hundredth review, he gets free ammo. Like, you know, at the prices they are today, that's like one bullet for his, you know, five, five, six. But that saves him a ten. Yeah. Review now. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is true, and it's probably only like, but it's saving him ten thousand dollars because that one bullet isn't cheap anymore. So I'm just saying, like, help a brother out, right? Leave a review, do your part, tell your friends. Um, not all of us can be as lucky as Nick and still be in and get, you know, get that sweet government money to pay for his training rounds. <laughs> it, it, I. It is nice. Nice. I mean, you know, there's right. got to be some perks to selling your soul, right? Yeah, and it's ammo. That, that is the price, ammo. It's always ammo. But so that we... that uh, that meme really uh, makes me think of Nick every time I see it, where it's like the free the white van, and you know how you get a guy to get in there, so you kidnap him, free ammo inside. That's Nick yeah. right there. Oh yeah, I deep myself into that van before he even finished his sentence. Oh wait, I see ammo. Wing. <laughs> All right, so uh, Rick, uh, before we let you go, last but not least, did you get to tell us how the listeners can find you if they want to stalk you as they do? Well, first of all, you can go to Amazon and look up my author page. I'm the only Rick Partlow that uh, writes science fiction for the moment, knock on wood. Uh, So you will find me immediately. Um, You can also go to Facebook, look up facebook.com backslash duty on our planet which is unfortunately when I was a new writer, I put my Facebook page on the title of my first book, which I cannot get out of now. Uh, but it, the actual title of the page is the science fiction worlds of Rick Partlow. Also rickpartlow.com is my website, although I don't update it as often as I probably should. And I have a Nick, YouTube I channel. Attacked. I have a YouTube channel, but it's mostly for people who want to write science fiction, not the readers, but uh, it's how to write science fiction that doesn't suck. That's always a good goal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I figured I wasn't I, qualified to tell people how to write great science fiction. And it was debatable among readers whether I'm qualified to say how to write good science fiction, but I can tell them how to write science fiction that doesn't suck. I feel qualified for that. Perfect. You know, that's right up there for uh, for ideas for for naming conventions as the world's okayest DM for a uh, Twitter handle, which is a former guest. So I, I can appreciate the uh, the modesty, sir. But uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com we have our facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at blasters and blades facebook group or is it facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast let me try that again and pretend i've done this before the facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast you can join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades uh we can support us over there for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on um and share it to your friend we do have a website coming but you know 
life happens and apparently people that make websites actually like to get paid uh my good looks wasn't enough to do it people so it's taken a little bit longer um but you know nick nick don't don't say anything that you're going to regret in the morning or that i might regret because you probably won't uh or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i'll keep my co-hosts nick garber and doc saska duly armored up they will fire rounds until their hands explode so that's like 10 billion dollars people so hook us up i'm just saying nick needs more rounds Nick he, he's pulling a little bit to the left and low, so he needs to, he needs to work that out. <laughs> I think that's my All right. I'm Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I wasn't going to judge because when I when I took means you're holding too hard took, with your support hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I took pistol lessons, Nick, they told me I'd be better off throwing the pistol at the bad guy than trying to shoot him with it and to stick to my rifle. So I mean, you know, I, I got no room to judge. Yeah, uh, but uh, proficient pistolier. So. But uh, wait, but you you can shoot people at range, so you know if they're close oh, enough for your rifle, you got magic. Up. I'm a damn wizard with that thing. But. Absolutely, it's like a zen with you. I, I I've heard stories. Uh, may or may not have seen that in person once or twice. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time We'll where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thanks for stopping by, Rick. This was fun. Thank you for having me.